0: Last week in our 12-step meeting, Neil picked up his five-year chip for five years of abstinence or sobriety from his addiction to pornography. Our experience with addiction recovery is something we've shared openly for the past several years, and on this milestone birthday, that's what we call each year of sobriety and recovery. We felt like it would be a good time to revisit this topic and share some of the ways Neil got stopped, stayed stopped, and how he's found a new way of living instead of being weighed down by addiction. If you or someone you love is struggling with addiction, we hope today's episode will provide some answers and resources and hope. I'm excited for this episode. It's one that I have been looking forward to recording and we get a lot of questions. I get a lot of questions in my DMs about addiction recovery because Neil and I have been really open about his battle with addiction and overcoming that. And Neil, what happened last week? It was a special day for you. It
1: was a special day. So, you know, one of the things that we do in recovery that I learned about as soon as I started going to meetings is celebrate various lengths of sobriety. So you have kind of a a definition of what your sobriety is or how you measure that or track that. And then for one month or two months or six months, nine months, one year, there's these different kind of mile marker moments. So we celebrate those with chips. So you get this little coin uh, that, that kind of has, you know, some recovery slogans on it. And it's just basically a kind of a moment to celebrate with everyone in the meeting, various lengths of sobriety, which I think is, is vital. And really important to recognize those mile milestones.
0: Yeah, it happens every week. So, And you always say the most important chip is?
1: The 24-hour chip. So newcomers to the meeting or if someone's rededicating or recommitting themselves to sobriety or recovery after a relapse, they'll pick up a new newcomer chip or a 24-hour chip. And for me, I used to really hang my hat on these chips, like, Oh man, if I could just get six months of sobriety or a year, then like, then I'll be good or whatever. And what I realized after relapsing several times, I've got a nice collection of uh, one month chips of six months chips or three months chips or two months after a while, I realized if I can just master the 24 hour chip and figure out how to be sober and in recovery for one day and and do a perfect day, then I can wake up the next morning and recreate that and and build off of what I did. So if I can master the 24 hour chip, I will get all of the chips and call it the magic chip because you get the rest of them. If you can figure out how to be sober for a day and then just string that back to back.
0: Okay. So I remember you kind of had a turning point from when you, you liked chips and that was a big deal to you to, you didn't want to pick up chips for a while and what was that all about
1: well yeah just that i mean i think for me i hung my hat i guess there was this thought process that i had that once and there's some science that i you know i've heard mentioned before or someone's told me about where and there i think there is some truth to it to where the there are certain lengths of time that if you if you get that you're more likely to be able to continue to abstain or from your addiction or or continue to be sober. So there's like, I guess, data of like, you know, if you can go a week, then you're, 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 you know, you're strengthening your ability to abstain. Or if you can go a month or if you can go six months or one year or five years or whatever. And so I used to kind of hang my hat on that. Like, Oh, if I can just get a month, Or if I can just get six months, then like I'll I'll be good or my, you know, everything will clear out and I'll be, I'll be healed. And, and I think that type of thinking for me, I realized after relapsing so many times that it implies that there's some point that I'm going to hit a magic number and I'm going to be like done. But for me, it's, it's the same as like physical exercise or going to the gym. Like, yeah, I can get into a good spot or a good space, but In order to continue to maintain that, like I've got to do things to maintain that spiritual or fit spiritual condition. And so I can't just hang my hat on getting to a certain point. That'd be like, you know, getting to hitting goals physically at the gym and being able to, you know, lift a certain amount of weight or, Physically being in a certain amount of shape or down to a certain weight, and then all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, I, I got here. I'm just going to quit. Now I'm good. Yeah. And then it's like, what's going to happen? You're going to you're going to f- fall back into, you know, you're going to atrophy. Your your muscles are going to fall apart or whatever, um, it, it, and you're going to gain that weight back. So you have to maintain a fit spiritual condition. So it's not like a type of thing where you can just get to a certain point and then and then you're done. You're quit. And which is a question I get all the time. Like, oh, when do you? when do you graduate? When do you finish the 12 steps and then you're done? It's like, well, you know, do you get to a certain physical point in your, in your workout or in your, you know, and then just stop, quit because you got there. Like you have to maintain it. So that's kind of why I quit focusing so much on the chips is because I got my mind into that mentality.
0: For me though, the chips were really important to see other people pick up a chip and because I would go to the meetings at first and feel like this is just a bunch of crap. There's no way these people are actually sober or or I would feel like that just seems so far out of reach. But then when I would see someone pick up like a year, it was kind of like oh they're they're still fresh, but they made it, or a three year or a five year chip, I would be like, "Wow, not that long ago they were in the exact same position that we were." And that was important for me to build hope and to feel like, okay, I'm going to keep coming because if it's working for them, maybe it'll eventually work for us. And, you know, I talked to somebody just last week about addiction and this person who is kind of struggling in their marriage was like, you know, that's so cool that you went to the 12-step meetings to understand, Neil. And I was like, no, I I didn't, like, don't give me that much credit. I didn't go to be this like understanding, you know, charitable person for Neil. I went at first to fix him and then something changed where I started going to fix me. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But Neil, can you tell me just to build some context, what your story is in like, you know, two minutes or something. If someone were to walk into a 12 step meeting, they've never met you. They have no idea who you are, what your addiction is, like how you identify and you know, just like you would say, you know, who you are and introducing yourself in a meeting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. As if I was in a meeting. Right. I mean, basically I'd be like, hi, my name is Neil. I'm a recovering pornography addict. And so my story began, I got, got into pornography at a young age, probably like five the first time I saw pornography and then continued to see that up kind of throughout my life. Into middle middle school, into high school, eventually wanted to serve a mission for our church and for what I wanted to do. That was something that was that I needed to change. So I talked to my my church leader, my bishop. We worked on that. Eventually, got out on a, mi- a mission. Was good for a couple of years, and then came back after a few months. Got back into it, and then it just continued to to kind of be a, a pattern in my life of like feeling bad about it. So then I go and talk to my my pastor, or we call him a bishop in our church. And confess, and then thought I'd be good. I'm like, all right, I'm good. I'm I'm ready to keep going and, and be on my merry way. And then it would just come up again, and then I I knew that it was wrong. So it was this pattern that I was caught in for years, and it got progressively ver- worse. And then eventually, I worked with a, a bishop for years, and he's like, hey, I can can refer you if you would like to a therapist. And so I eventually got into seeing a therapist and then that didn't really go so well. And so I, I contacted a friend, a friend of mine came out and, and said, Hey, I'm struggling with pornography and had a bunch of resources that were super, super helpful. And so I got into an outpatient recovery program. About that time I met my wife, I started going to L 12 step meetings for SA, which is kind of a non-denominational 12 step program, but still struggled to get traction. I struggled for a long time and really could never find like recovery. And then eventually we got married and the struggle was still there. We moved to California and found ARP, which is the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Addiction Recovery Program, ARP. And it's a 12-step program that, that kind of combines the 12 steps with the gospel of Jesus Christ as we study it in our church. And that was really the turning point for me to where, well, even in that I still struggled and still was trying to get traction, but eventually got to a point where I, I just kind of ran out of good ideas. I really just, I'm like, man, I've been in this forever. I'm not getting any traction. I'm not, I just feel like it's like I'm hopeless. Like I'm terminally unique that I'm going to just be this way. And this is the way that I am. And nothing is going to change. And then at that point, I finally had a, a relapse that was was really tough and, and I think tough on on you. Um, yeah. And at that point, I just said, okay, I'll do whatever. And so the leader of that meeting would pound on the, on the manual, this little manual that has it, the 12 steps in the program kind of outlined in it and he would say do the steps and so i i did the steps i got a sponsor and through that process found found hope and healing and found recovery and figured out how through god and jesus christ how to be sober and in recovery and then that's kind of you know i don't know that's that's a high level overview of my story
0: thanks for sharing that i think it's really helpful to have the context and understand you know, where you came from and where you're at now. So for someone who is listening to this and maybe struggling with the same thing or maybe in those shoes that we were years ago of like, okay, I need some hope. Like how? what changed for you? How? How did you go from being stuck in that cycle of a month chip or three months or six months and then relapsing again or a few weeks and then relapsing? And because I remember... Feeling like I remember meeting with the bishop and saying to him, I have just kind of accepted the fact that this is going to be our life. And until the next life, like I literally had decided in my mind, okay, until we die and go to heaven and Neil has extra help there or something, this will just be what our life is like. And I will just have to endure to the end. This will be one of my trials in life. And then maybe in the next life, Neil will be healed of this. That's really what I had settled into as my reality, but what changed for you?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And I I honestly was to that point myself, like I'd been in an outpatient recovery program for years. Uh, We spent a ton of money on that. I learned great things, but I just like, don't feel like it really got me lasting Abstinence, recovery, sobriety, been meeting with therapists for years, been even going to to a the non denominational twelve step meeting and even in ARP for you know for a year or so or I can't remember exactly the length of how long I was going to ARP meetings at this point, but but I remember at least a couple years because
0: let's see. We have lived here in Southern California for seven and a half years. Because Annie is about to turn nine and we moved here when she was a year and a half old. So, seven and a half years, you just picked up your two year, or sorry, your five year chip. So, it was like two and a half years that we had been going to ARP or that you yeah. had been going.
1: Yeah. So, I, it's still at this point, I was still, st- stuck in like about a six week cycle. Like I'd go on average about six weeks before relapsing. So I was frustrated and I remember meeting with a therapist at the time and I, and I, I kind of was just at that point of like, Hey, is this even possible? Like for me, I've been doing this for, at that point, I mean, I don't know eight years, six years, or I, I can't remember exactly how many years i have been in, you know, going to recovery meetings or meeting seven. with therapists, seven years. Seven Thank years. you. I'm glad you got this locked down. I, cause Cause I, re- I, I gets...
0: distinctly remember having that breakdown and saying, I am seven years tired. Yeah, that's right. This.
1: That's right. And, and I remember feeling that. And I, I honestly asked him, I'm like, Hey, do you see people like come out of this and get better? And he's like, yeah, it's possible. But at that point I felt like I'd been doing all of these you know, solution based things and what I thought was the answer. And I felt like I was putting in effort, but but I had, you know, what a bishop I was meeting with at the time. He's like, I think you're still holding on to this. I think you're still just wanting to hold on to it. And and so I I I was frustrated. I felt the same way. And I think I got to a point where I was completely out of good ideas. And I think I think the pain of the problem was, was you know, worse than the pain of the solution. I knew in order to get better that I would have to let go of, you know, what I thought was a good idea or the way to do things, or I just had to kind of drop all my solutions of what I thought and be totally clear the slate and be totally open to whatever God told me to do. And the message that I got was pick up this manual work the steps, get a sponsor, go to meetings, don't use ask for help, which is like the basic bottom line of recovery is like, don't use ask for help, go to meetings. Those are like the three things. And so So I did it. I, I opened up this little manual, which I think I had an attitude about because I was like, ah, this is watered down AA. This is kind of like, you know, I I just had been in like what I thought were like the, the world-class recovery programs and, and kind of like the old nitty gritty, you know, AA based type of programs. And I'm like, this is just the church's version of this. This is kind of cheesy. I don't know. But I'm like, you know what? I don't care at this point. I've, clearly none of that's worked for me or, or you know, maybe my attitude toward it kept me from progressing. I don't know. But really what worked for me was opening up the manual, doing the steps. Like it's kind of a two-part process. There's the book work where I'm studying and I'm answering the questions. And then I go out into the world and I live the steps and try and apply these principles. And then when I have questions or I'm struggling or whatever, which for me is like was every day, call a sponsor. And, and really have someone to kind of guide and, and expand on these, these principles and, and show me how to apply them in my life. So that was the turning point.
0: Yeah. So what's a sponsor if someone is like, okay, I know that, you know, Nike sponsors athletes or whatever, or we have sponsors for our blog. What is a sponsor in recovery?
1: In recovery, it's basically someone who has gone through the 12 steps, worked all 12 steps and has Um, a good amount of sobriety or Mm -hmm. recovery has found the solution. And then as part of step 12 in the program, you go and share the message or you can sponsor others or help others walk through the steps. So it's kind of the equivalent of, we use the example of climbing Mount Everest. If I'm going to climb Mount Everest, I want to go with a guide who's done that before and can show me Hey, here's where you put your feet. Here's, you know, the ropes. There's a big, you know, there's, there's a big cliff we got to clear here. And this is how you do it. You want to go with someone who's, who's gone through it before. And the cool, the miracle of the program is both people benefit in that process. Both the sponsor, you know, is, is strengthened in their recovery. And then obviously the person working the steps has someone to help kind of guide them through and, and tailor the program specifically to their experience or needs.
0: So maybe a couple examples of not awesome sponsors. What do you mean? If someone's listening to this and is like, okay, so maybe like this person or that person in my life could be my sponsor. Like my mom loves me and I can tell her anything. So maybe my mom should be my
1: sponsor. There is a difference. Your mom's not your sponsor. Your spouse is not your sponsor. I mean, I think in some instances, I, I don't know, you can, you can work with a Bishop. I think there's a different role in the program. Like they come in, in step five, Um, once you're, or I think it doesn't even talk about meeting with your Bishop until step three, uh, in the manual in the ARP manual. In some instances, I know people do that, but I I don't know. For me, the best person was somebody who is actively in recovery, going to meetings, working the steps who'd who'd been through all 12 steps. And -hmm. then, you know, you kind of know, like you're in a meeting, you hear someone share and, and you kind of like, really f- you can feel it you're like, like man, identify this person, with what they're saying yeah they have something that i want yeah i can tell that like wh- how they're sharing and what they've found they've found the solution they've found hope and healing i can feel it when they share like i want that then that's the person that you want to go up and ask and say hey man would, would you or, you know or hey woman sister <laughs> would you sponsor me i
0: don't think i've ever said hey woman to <laughs>
1: yeah yeah you know, sorry not like that but but would you sponsor me? You know, yeah, and, and that's when you you know that's the type of of person that you want to find.
0: This was something I learned in recovery that was super helpful to me that all addiction is is pain management. and that, you know, when people use an addiction, to, they're using it to numb out. They're not using it to hurt other people. They're not using it because they, most of the time, especially for Neil, it was definitely this way. They're not using it because they're like, I have a pass and I think it's fine and, and I don't really care. That's kind of how I took it for a few years or even like in pornography, like, oh, my sex life isn't fulfilling or my wife isn't hot enough. Like those were things that I would internalize. And then someone said once that addiction really is just pain management. It's like something hurts or I'm bored or I'm having a rough day or I'm frustrated or I'm lonely. Oh, I'm going to use, I'm going to, you know, have a drink or I'm going to take some drugs or I'm going to watch some porn and then I'm going to feel all better because it numbs out anything that is hard to deal with in reality, right? So a lot of people will say in recovery that you have to deal with life on life's terms. So instead of numbing something out the way you have your whole entire life, all of a sudden, when you do have a hard day or someone's mad at you, or you dropped the ball and you feel stupid about it or whatever, what did you do those first few times that it was like, oh, like, I want to reach for my thing. And instead you chose something else. Like, how did you Stay stopped like you can you you used to say in meetings and you've said it before I could get stopped But I wouldn't stay stopped like you could stop for a couple good days But then like you'd have a bad day and it would just take you under
1: for me It was really getting outside of myself and I talk a a lot about in meetings or to other people about contrary actions which, which it's basically doing the opposite of what you've always done or doing the exact opposite of what you feel like doing. So for me, it, it was contrary actions. One of the biggest contrary actions for me was being honest with you, with my wife. One of the things that, that you know, I, I kind of had built up in my mind is is hey, I might mess up in my recovery or have a, have a slip here or there and I'll get through it. I'll work through it. I'll go to my, you know, my program, but she will have a harder time. She won't. It's going to make things worse if I'm honest with her. So I'm just not going to say anything. And for me, I'd been doing that and it just, I could not maintain any sobriety at all. Like it just kind of enabled it. And so one of the things that I found out, one of the main things in my, you know, with that, with that relapse the last time was, was in order to stay sober and in recovery, I have to be totally honest. I, there can't be a lie mm-hmm. in my recovery. There can't be a lie somewhere. Cause it creates a, kind of like a crack in the armor, so to speak. And it's going to break Give them any amount of time it's going to break. So that was a, a major contrary action that I had to take. And then A lot of times in the heat of the moment or the white heat of temptation, like it's so hard to get outside of yourself. And like the last thing that I want to do is pick up the phone and call somebody or...
0: When you say get outside of yourself, I'm thinking in my terms and like... like
1: service or something. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's usually yeah. you hear people say, oh, get outside yourself. Like, go do something for someone else. Is that what you mean?
1: No, the The way that I mean it is outside of my own head. Because okay. like, it's kind of a, it's a closed loop. Like my thoughts, my thinking, the way that I approach life, it's like, you, you kind of are like dealing with... You, All you have to deal with is your own experiences, your own thought processes, your own habits or whatever. So in order to break that loop and and clearly my thinking was leading me back into addiction. So I'm like, I knew that that was not correct you know, it's a rough neighborhood in there. So in order to, to break that loop, I, I would have to call somebody. So I, I called somebody every single day. And Wait, in the who beginning, are you another person in the, in the program, Yeah, you're not um, calling somebody like, from my meeting, you're not calling me. I'm not calling you. No, I'm just calling like another addict. Yeah. And that's the, the foundation of the whole program. The way it even began, the 12 steps in general was, was two alcoholics talking to each other who wanted to get recovery and they would work with each other. And somehow through that interaction and that understanding, there was able to be a solution. And I find the same thing in my recovery today. And and especially back there in the beginning, when I call somebody there, it's just magical because one, they completely understand what I'm going through. They're like, yeah. And they're probably feeling some of the similar feelings that day. And then I really do believe that God is in the center of that interaction and that through somebody sharing with another alcoholic or addict, what they're going through, God helps them. And then the person kind of receiving that information and then communicating back, they get what they need. And, And it's a miracle. I mean, I've, I can't count how many times I've called somebody and just basically been like, Hey man, I'm off today. I'm, I'm sketching out or whatever. And then they say the same thing. But by the time we hang up the phone, it's like, wow, thank you. Like you saved me. And it's like, dude, I didn't save anybody. I was trying to save myself, but God speaks to us both in that interaction. It's kind of the the miracle of recovery. But that's, but again, back to your, your original question, contrary actions, dailies, spiritual actions, it's a spiritual based program. So reading the book of Mormon is huge mm-hmm. for me every single day prayer. These are some of the basics going to meetings and then taking the contrary actions. So,
0: so even if that feels like overwhelming to someone though, they're like, Oh my gosh, I don't have time for like all this stuff or that, that sounds like a lot of change. Like I just need something basic. What are some of the basic, basic things that you tell people? Like just a starting point, it's just the same, to get started. I
1: always tell people the exact same thing in really thinking about it. Cause I'll get this question like, Hey, what do I do? I got emails this week from, from somebody like, Hey, I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm you know, struggling with addiction. Like, what do I do? Don't use, go to meetings, ask for help three basic things. We say this all the time, it but it works. It really does. Like, mm-hmm. these are the solutions. When I get have stress in my life or I go through something challenging, which life is just going to happen like that, that's exactly what I do. When my brother died and was, you know, this traumatic situation, I went to a meeting and I shared and I asked for help and, you know, I, I didn't use. And, and that's, those are the three basic things. It does require Action. Like you have to do something. And a lot of times you have to do something that you is the last thing you want to do. Talk to a bishop or a pastor or a minister or somebody, your wife, or for sure reaching out to somebody in the program. It's a form of basically surrendering or letting go of your own control, your own thought process of, I'm going to control it. I'm going to save myself. I'm going to pull myself up on my bootstraps. That never worked for me. I mean, it just, it, it, Just turned me right back into my addiction because my life got more unmanageable the more I tried to do that.
0: I was just talking to a close friend recently too about this who is trying to get some sobriety and get some, you know, start to overcome an addiction. And I said to this person, Are you going to meetings yet? Because you know, they know that I've said, like, you need to get to a 12-step meeting. And they said, no. And I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you what I think you need to hear. If you don't start going to meetings, you will not stay sober. And I just think that's true for anyone, right? Like, And it doesn't have to be ARP. If you are not a member of our church or you're for some reason not you don't want like the church setting or whatever, go to an AA meeting Any you can Google 12 steps Detroit, 12 steps, you know, Boise, Idaho, wherever you live and you'll find like instantly you'll find tons of 12 step meetings during the day at night. You'll find phone in meetings. Like there's no excuse to not find a meeting. There are meetings literally everywhere in the world. And you can find really specific meetings too. NA is for Narcotics Anonymous, AA is Alcoholics Anonymous, you went to SA, which was Sexaholics Anonymous. Like there's even, and this is something I want to talk about. There's even an Al-Anon, sorry. Mm -hmm. Al-Anon is specifically for loved ones of addicts. So if you have a child or a spouse or a sibling who is making your life unmanageable because of, their addiction and and how it's affecting you and you feel like your life is unmanageable because you can't control them, you need to go to an Al-Anon meeting or a general ARP meeting. Neil and I are pretty big on like going to general ARP and not necessarily, they do have like pornography specific addiction meetings, which he has yet to like have a great experience, nor do we know anyone who's had a really great experience with those. I'm sure they, you know. They're out
1: there. They're probably good ones, but. the, The point too is like, keep going until you find a meet, like a lot of people, I think they go to a meeting and I've heard people, I heard somebody share about this. One of my close friends share about it. This oh last, yeah, last meeting week. of like, mm-hmm. like the first meeting I went to, I'm like, I'm never going back. And then I tried it again just to be like, all right, I'm going to give it one more try. And it was, it was horrible. It didn't, <laughs> but then he went to another meeting, a different a one, third
0: meeting. Yeah. That,
1: that someone was like, Hey, I've heard good things about this one. And that's when he finally like started to feel it. But, but I think a lot of people make that you know, that that's their first experience. I think of some of the meetings that I've gone to, I'm like, man, if that was my only experience with ARP or whatever, yeah, I probably wouldn't have gone back.
0: Well, in the the setup, if you don't know, if you've never stepped foot in a 12 step meeting, this is what you'll find. You'll walk in, you'll find a bunch of people who are, they look happy. I was shocked by that. They're like laughing, talking, they're like being chummy with each other. And I, I kind of walked in expecting a funeral, like, oh man, we're a bunch of losers. Like we're here, like we screwed up again. For some reason in my mind, I just thought it was gonna be that way. But you walk in and you find these people who are full of joy, which was so unexpected for me. And then you sit down, everyone introduces themselves by first name only. That's another thing too, that a friend of mine expressed concern about like, oh, I don't want the church coming after me. Like haven't been to church in a long time. And if I go, I don't want them like calling me or bugging me about going to church again or whatever. They don't even ask you for, like, no one will ask. No one's taking role. You don't even tell people your last name. You show up, you say your first name only. Everyone in the room pledges anonymity and everyone says, whom you see here, what you see here, when you leave here, let it stay here. And everyone in the room says, here, here. And that's just like, you're agreeing to not talk about who you saw or share what you heard people share about. And then in our meetings, we read the 12 steps. We go around the room and each person reads a step. And then we pick like one step that week to focus on. So maybe we, like last week we read step three, which was like giving your will to God Mm -hmm. and trust. And so we read through like the reading in there and everyone takes like a paragraph and you read through the reading. And then the facilitator Who is you right now Mm -hmm. in our local meeting gives a share at the very beginning and then they open it up for shares. So the rest of the meeting is just people sharing exactly where they're at and the step they're working on or kind of like a testimonial of the 12 steps. And it is so powerful because you just hear people give really raw shares about like this week, this happened or, you know, I'm really trying to get through step nine and it's super hard to make amends with people in my life or, you know, or I just did step nine and it was amazing because I finally got through this amends that I needed to make, or I'm trying to get through my fourth step inventory and it's, it's really hard. And like, I just have had so many powerful moments. I haven't been to a 12 step meeting actually, where I haven't walked away being like, wow, that was amazing. And you talk about that a lot too where you'll sit down and be like oh man there's maybe there's not very many people or there's people you don't know and you're like oh what's this meeting going to be like this week and they're always just so powerful to hear people give those shares and share just their raw experiences i usually walk away thinking it's almost the opposite of what people sometimes say when they go to church and they feel like oh i'm just never going to be good enough and I usually walk out of a 12 step meeting going, okay, I'm okay. Like (laughs) there are much bigger problems out there and other people who are struggling with things way harder than I am and I'm doing okay and just keep going. I only mean that in the sense that instead of feeling like how some people struggle with that comparison of perfection or whatever, you go there and feel like people are just so vulnerable and real. That you feel like, Hey, it's going to be okay. Like other people are struggling too, and they're handling it. And we're all like, life is hard for everyone. And then you, you kind of hear a balance too, usually of people who are just broken down and they're in the brand new first few weeks or days or months of recovery. And then you've got a balance of other people who have years and they're there saying things like, don't use, go to meetings, ask for help. This is all you need to do. And this is what has worked for me. And giving that really solid advice from the perspective of, I know exactly where you're at. And I remember that. And I used to be there too. And here's what worked for me. And it's just like such a cool circle of life that we call it. You know, you've got like kind of the newcomer, you've got the old timer and everybody helps each other out. Like the for the old timers like you are now, maybe. Not really. No,
1: no. I'm still, <laughs> I wouldn't call myself an old timer, but, but no. I, but for no, someone
0: who has five years, it's still vital for you to hear from people who are brand new to meetings, yeah, right?
1: absolutely. Because I need to be reminded of like when someone comes in just totally broken and they're about to lose their family or they just lost their family or they lost their like job, whatever. Like I need to remember that. And, and be reminded of, of, you know, what that, what that's like and to, and to respect the ledge, so to speak, like, Hey, that's, I might be further down the road, but I'm just as close to the ditch as anybody else. as that person who's walking in saying, I just lost my family. Like that could happen to me in a split second. And it's, it's good to remember that. And to keep that fresh in my mind, it brings, helps me to, to humble myself and be open and willing to take in the actions that I need to continue to take. But, but yeah, meetings are where, where the, it's where the solution is. It's based on, it's sharing about the solution rather than the problem. And that's, you focus your shares on that. And, and I think the, one of the most powerful things is for me, and I think for a lot of people is, is kind of like the quote unquote meeting after the meeting Mm -hmm. where, That's really where you can engage and ask people about maybe something they shared about where it's like, Hey man, you said something in the meeting that really stood out to me. Tell me more about that. Or how'd you find hope and healing there? Or if you have some recovery, it's, it's being a strength or, you know, maybe even someone asked you to sponsor, but during the meeting, they they'll say like, no crosstalks, so You're not commenting directly about other people's remarks or
0: like interrupting or them. interrupting
1: them. Like, Hey man, tell me more about that. Or like, have you ever asking questions or something? It's, it's not that type of a form. It's more of like a, a testimony meeting where you're, you know, you don't interrupt somebody, but, but at the end you have this opportunity to go and really talk to and and engage with others and ask more about the solution. And that's where there's just a lot of cool things that happen. But that's where the magic is. And I agree with you. I think a lot of people reach out or will ask me those questions. Hey, what do I do? What do I do? And I'm like, well, don't use go to meetings, ask ask for help. And it's like, okay, okay. And I'm like, are you going to meetings? Well, no, not really. Like, you know You gotta be willing
0: to step in the door.
1: Tell that like there's still that barrier. And and as long as like, if you're not willing to show up or, or take a contrary action, it's like, I don't know, for me, it's like, I really didn't get anywhere until I was willing to do that.
0: And you were nervous too, about going to our local meeting yeah, right? because you were like, what if somebody sees me? This yeah. was back when you were still like very I was super, you didn't want anyone to like, know.
1: weird about it. Like and, and it's uncomfortable. I get it. It's like, man, I I'm battling with this. I don't want people to know like what if I see somebody from my local congregation or from my area or someone I go to work with or whatever. And so I did go to try to find kind of a meeting that was farther away, but Which eventually you can totally do. you know, tried to I eventually came back to that meeting. But but even when that's happened, I see you immediately. And this is the cool thing about sharing a struggle is like, you immediately feel empathy, compassion, sympathy for that person. And it's, and it's, both ways, they're like, okay, I know why you're here, and you know why I'm here, and I'm looking it's like, for help. Oh, you too, and it and, and it like too. immediately. There's this this kind of you know. In most instances, I mean, maybe not for every time, or you know, there's certain circumstances where you know someone doesn't feel that, but most of the time, it's like. Hey man, like, wow, I have a new love and respect for you because I know what you're going through because I'm going through the same. And it's quite the opposite of what you think it would be.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to go back to what you said a while ago where you were talking about what made you finally decide that five years ago that that was going to be the last relapse. You said, well, that was a really hard relapse and hard on you, meaning me. And then, you know, we kind of talked about other things, but I want to make sure that it's very clear that it wasn't like I was having a breakdown and you felt so bad that you decided that that was going to be it for you. It wasn't like I, I guess for me being the person who is the spouse of an addict, I want to make sure that it's clear that it wasn't like I was, I threw a big enough fit or was bawling and crying because I was, I was super upset and just devastated after Neil's last relapse because I just for months had thought he was in a different place. And then when I realized he wasn't and kind of caught him, I was just felt like I'm a crazy person. Like I will never, my life feels so out of control. Neil is totally in charge of whether I can be happy or not. I have no control over that anymore anymore. I just felt like my life was so out of my hands and, but I really want it to be clear that it wasn't like I freaked out and then you were like, okay, I'll take my addiction seriously now.
1: Yeah. No, I never wanted to do it in the first place. And I remember even in the beginnings of our relationship, we went through the whole promise me you'll never do this again. I remember being engaged and Corinne's just like promise me you'll never do this again. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I don't want to do it in the first place. That sounds right. I just commit and, and it's over. And yes, I won't. And I just can't count on, you know, I can't even count how many times I broke those promises to myself and to other people of like, yeah, I'm never going to do this again, or swearing it off, you know, and, and then breaking that again or telling a Bishop, Hey, yeah, like, I'm not going to do it. I feel good. I'm awesome. Like if I'm in a good place and then boom, I'm doing it again. I'd, I'd broken that promise so many times that I think when I got to that point, I basically, I knew it. I'm like, man, I've, I can't even count how many tri- times I've tried to commit to this, committed to others, committed to myself, sworn up and down. I've, everything's on the line. My family's on my on the line, my like church standing in the, you know, worthiness within the church, all of these different things. There's there's reasons up and down of, of why I should be committed. And I broke broke those commitments. So I was at a point where I was out of good ideas. And I just said, I don't know. I can't commit to anything other than today. I can be sober today. I, I I can work the steps. I'm sober right now. That's what matters. It's one day at a time. And I can probably commit to you or to myself. I can be sober today. And and for me, that's really, this is how I still work. My program is like, I'm confident I can hit, you know, my head can hit the pillow sober today beyond that, I don't worry about it. I I surrender it to God. And if that's too much, and there are days where it is, I scale it back. And I'm like, for the next hour, I pretty much can guarantee myself I will be sober. But as far as like making a, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to so bad to just give that to you to be like, Hey, yes, I am done. And it's over like more than anything. And, and for, for all the reasons in the world, being able to make that commitment. But I just had broken that so many times. So finally, that's where I found it's through, it's only for me after doing all this stuff, it was only through Jesus Christ, through the grace of Christ. And this is what I share every week that, that it happens. I tried all these other things that were like, kind of around the periphery of that or behavioral things or you know, different type of therapies or adjunctive, you know, whatever. But I think until I fully surrendered to the atonement of Jesus Christ and and his way and was willing to listen and follow whatever he wanted me to do, that's that's where I found the hope and healing and that's where I continue to find the hope and healing. And that's what I share about each week. And whenever I, you know, to the degree that I remember that is is to the degree of how strong I feel in recovery. And if there are days where I'm further away from that or my mind's just not engaged, then I need to take spiritual actions to correct that. And that's all built into the steps.
0: And for me, I remember like I said, in the very beginning of the podcast, going to ARP and going to those 12-step meetings to be like, okay, everything else has failed us. Maybe this will work. Maybe this will fix Neil. And I went with totally with an attitude. I was super bitter, but I also was like, well, we'll see. Maybe this will work. And then when Neil had his last relapse, I really just was so broken, called my friend, Mandy, who ended up being my sponsor. She is So incredible. Her blog is Vintage Revivals. She was just on the Magnolia Network. I mean, those are just fun little side notes, but she is someone who I, she's the reason we started going to ARP because she wrote about her experience with her husband, Court, and his drug addiction and how they changed their lives and, you know, turned everything around from going to ARP. So I called her because I was just like, okay, your ARP meetings aren't working. Like Neil keeps relapsing and he's lying to me. And and I was just like, I can't live like this anymore. I was in such a broken place and feeling crazy. I really felt crazy. And I felt like this is so unfair that Neil gets to dictate whether I'm happy or not. And I just, every time I would find out that I had been lied to, I would feel like I had been hit by a bus. And it was hard for me to pick up the pieces and put myself back together. So I called Mandy just so broken and said, "What do I do?" And she said, "Well, do you really want to know what to do or do you just need me to listen to you?" And I said, "No, I'll do anything." And she said, "Okay, you need to do the steps." And so from then on I started going to the meetings for me, to find out how to not be feel like a crazy person anymore and to find peace and hope and healing for myself. One of my favorite parts of ARP is in the very beginning, they read at the beginning of every meeting, there's like a script that the group leader reads and it says something about friends and family who practice these same 12 steps will also find hope and healing through the 12 steps or something
1: for themselves, for
0: themselves. Yeah. I don't know. So it's, I should know I've gone to thousands of these meetings, but anyway, I just, there was something about hearing that, that. I started to believe it and then I, I listened to Mandy. I was like, Hey, I'll do anything. And so I picked up the manual, just like Neil said, and started doing the steps for my own recovery, not to fix Neil, but for myself and to find sanity again. And that's one of the, like one of the original AA steps says, like, re- restore you to sanity, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I was going for. And I really was like, Neil can do whatever he wants. It's no longer on me. I'm not going to babysit his addiction. And I used to feel that way. I used to feel like I had to like have passwords on everything in our house. And it was on me to make sure that, you know, if I had to go out of town, I wasn't gone too long. Or if I was going to go out for a girl's night, that all of the devices on our in our house were locked up. Because there were times in the past where I would forget to put a password on something and Neil would pick it up and use it to find porn. And it turned from me being like, this is all on me too. none of this is on me anymore. It's all on you. And not in like, a, I hate you. It's all on you. Like, I'm not going to carry this around anymore. It's this is whatever you choose to do with it. It's on you. And then I did, I found truly a way to live my own life in sobriety from feeling codependent. And we have other episodes on that that go deeper into codependency and what that is. But I did those 12 steps for myself and found so much, not, not even just like the power in the 12 steps. Yes, it, it is life changing, but also I found so much humility in the 12 steps of it's humbling to have to, you know, write down a fourth step inventory of all of your fears and transgressions and resentments and then admit them to a sponsor and admit them to your bishop and, and, you know, then ask, God to take away your character weaknesses and make amends with people that you had wronged. Like there's just so many things that you have to do that you feel that for me, I felt like, oh my gosh, I can't do this unless Jesus helps me because I felt so humbled and so small, you know, like, like the scriptures talk about like being dust or whatever, like you're, you're nothing compared to God. And that is what the 12 steps helped restore for me too. is just that balance of feeling like God is everything. I need his help. And it's just between me and him. It's just a personal relationship between me and my heavenly father and Jesus Christ. And that, that's all I have to worry about in this life. And then for Neil, like it's all up to him. If he chooses to do that, great. If not, and, and that's my answer too to people who are like, what if he does it again? What if he's lying to you right now? Instead of thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to feel crazy if I find out that he's lied to me again, and I've been living this lie. And I feel like if Neil does that, he has to live with himself. He has to deal with that guilt. He has to face God someday. And that's all on him. It's not my responsibility. It's not my job. And I've gotten so much better at that. And it's funny where Neil talks about like the more time he has, the quieter those voices get of like... You can talk about that in a second. But for me, it's the same. The longer it's been since I was in that crazy codependent mode, the easier it is for me, even if there's like a little temptation of like, oh, I wonder if this triggered him. Or I wonder, you know, I was gone for a whole week, like, or not a whole week, but like I was gone for three days. Like, I wonder if he was okay. I used to have to fight that and be like, nope it's on Neil. It's his job. It's his responsibility. It's not mine to now. Like it'll be a fleeting thought every once in a while. And it's so easy for me to go back to that mindset of, you know what? It's not my job. It's not my responsibility. Neil's in charge of Neil and I'm in charge of me. So anyway.
1: Well, yeah, no, exactly. Like what you're saying though, for me, my, my side of that once, once you did that, once that happened, like, and I felt it. I knew it wasn't like a malice thing. Like, hey, you know, whatever, go do your thing. And it you're going to face God So it was just kind of like, hey, it's all you. Like you control your destiny here. I felt the responsibility and it, it put the ball back in my court 100%. And so I'm like, it's all on me. I can't blame Corinne for my mistakes or get frustrated and say, oh, she's trying to control me. And that's spinning me back into my addiction. And we're, you know, we're doing this dance back and forth of, you know, you frustrate me. I go to my addiction to kind of heal that. And then that makes you mad. And then you get more controlling. And then I go back to my addiction and circle, circle, like chasing Mm -hmm. your tail. Finally, like, like that, you know, in combination with me saying I'm going to work the steps and then you work in the steps it broke us out of that dance. Yeah, And so a lot of power in, in doing that. But as far as now, like it does get quieter. I mean, in answer to what you're saying, like the time there is, there is some truth to it. I think I don't hang my hat on it because I, I just, I know what, what it takes to what actions I need to take to be in recovery.
0: Cause people will say in the meetings, your addiction's in the other room pu- doing pushups. Yeah.
1: And there's a tendency to think like, Oh, I feel better. The obsession's gone. Like, I don't need to go to the meetings. I can stop doing all the things that got me here. You know, it's the equivalent of like working out again. I can stop going to the gym and I can maintain the same. You are you, you not. You can't. You still have to continue to maintain that. So spiritually, it's the same way, but it does get quieter. I found that the, the more time goes on, there's, you know, there's different data out there and scientific studies of, you know, of pathways healing in the brain, the prefrontal cortex growing, you know, in, in the breaks of the brain being you're able to stop a lot better. And there's different things that that's out there. And I, I, and I feel that it quiets down quite a bit, which is which is nice. But again, I don't I don't hang my hat on it because I know sp- it's all spiritual.
0: So I think we'll play your your share. I recorded Neil's share in our meeting and he talked about, you know, what five years meant to him and how he got there. And so we'll play that now. And then I'll ask one last question. Okay.
2: My name um, I'm a recovering pornography addict. <coughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is great to be in, in the meeting with you all. Thank you um, for everyone for just showing up today. Um, five years ago, um, was I just remember being absolutely frustrated and in a bad spot. I'd gotten caught again for the, I don't know how many, nth time by my wife um, who thought that I'd been sober and was going to meetings and in recovery and actually I was acting out and lying about it. Um, and she found something on the TV that tipped her off after coming home from a work trip and, and uh, things just blew up. And at that point, I I just kind of, I'm like, I'm out of good ideas. Um, I, at that point I'd been in, um, attending recovery meetings, going to meetings for six years. I've been started out an SA, which is a 12 step non-denominational sex holics anonymous. I'd worked through the 12 steps. I'd had a sponsor. Um, I'd done an outpatient recovery program. It's a three year program, um, called life starts out of Utah. Um, learned a lot of great scientific things, had a lot of great experiences, but, um, Still just couldn't get traction in the program. I'd get like a month or, I, or when we, we initially initially got into recovery, we were dating. Um, and then we got engaged. And through that whole process, I was just freshly getting into recovery. So um, I had about a year when we got married, a little over a year. Thought I was good. And then, you know, relapsed um, shortly after we got married. And then just just cycle of one, two months, three months, relapse, talking to Bishop, going back in, going back in, hey, I messed up again. Um, and so I think for me, um, there's, a, there's actually a quote in, it's in one of the, the steps, uh, step six. And um, this is in the, the study and apply section, but it says, no matter what the source of difficulty, no matter how you begin to obtain relief, Through a qualified professional therapist, doctor, priesthood, leader, friend, concerned parent, or loved one, no matter how you begin, those solutions will never provide a complete answer. The final healing comes through faith in Jesus Christ and his teachings with a broken heart and a contrite spirit and obedience to his commandments. And for me, that was it. I've tried, um, you know, I I did work the 12 steps in in a different program, but it was um, a higher power based, um, and, it, and it, was, it wasn't for me, it wasn't Jesus Christ. I'd gone to my outpatient recovery program, learned fascinating things about the brain, like, man, that makes sense to me, I can rewire my brain, um, the neural pathways that I've created through my addiction, I've burned my prefrontal, prefrontal cortex, I just need to give it time to heal, I can I can do cognitive therapy and all these different things to fix my brain, and I'll be healed, I'll be good. And I think all of these things kind of were pitched to me um, as the solution, which I think in part they were helpful, not to say that they're bad things. I still go to therapy or do therapy but um, and, and worked with several different therapists, but nothing ever worked. And I, I think I got to the point where I finally understood what they talked about, being terminally unique. You're like James Kennedy Thursday night talk about it. You think you're terminally unique, that you're, you're different. You, this stuff doesn't apply to you. And you're never going to get better. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like that. And I remember asking my therapist at the time. I'm like, hey, dude, I've been going to recover for like six years. Is this going to work? And Does this ever happen? Do you see people recover? And he's like, yeah, it'll work. Keep doing. And he kind of pitched his own kind of plan of salvation. And, you know, hey, if you have deeper relationships with other men and have groups, that's going to heal you. Um, and, And I think while all these things, different elements were helpful, they were all periphery. For me, five years ago, it wasn't until I just kind of put down all of my attempts and just said, "I, I don't, I don't got it," and I'm I'm in a bad way. Um, I'm out of I'm out of good ideas, and whatever you tell me to run around, the, you know the street corner in my boxers or whatever, you know whatever, I'll, whatever you I will do anything. Um, and at that point, I picked up this manual and I started working the steps and answering questions. I asked someone to sponsor me. Um, and I finally just was honest with my wife about everything. I just was like, look, I, I, can't, I can't lie and stay sober. And I knew it. Um, and that's really where the healing began, and it was a process. Um, but I did the things that everyone talks about here, and, and that's what worked for me. But it's, I'll say the same thing, and this is why I say it every week at the end my share. For me, it's, it's through the atonement of Jesus Christ that this thing happens. Um, Christ is the only one who can change human nature. Um, I can change all of the different behaviors and everything that I want, but I cannot change my nature. Only Christ can. And that's the magic of the program of 12 Steps, and, and that's what, what got me sober and, and helps me to retain ambition. In and I say, it in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil.
0: So, Neil, if there's one message, that you want people to remember from this podcast episode, what do you want that one message to be?
1: For me, it's only through the atonement of Jesus Christ that we can change nature, our human nature. And that's, until I figured that out, I didn't get true recovery and true hope and healing. It's only through the atonement of Jesus Christ that we can can truly change our nature.
0: I love that. I think my one... Message And one piece of advice for a spouse who's listening to this is, I love the acronym hold on pain ends, because I think it can feel so crushing when you find out that someone has relapsed or that your spouse or loved one has done it again, or they've gone down the, the hole again of using, and it can just feel like this is never going to get better. And maybe that person will never change, but you can change. You can take control of your own peace and your own happiness, and you're actually in charge of that. And if you don't know how to do that, go to an ARP general meeting, go to an Al-Anon meeting, find some really good resources and support and people who can walk you through what they have done to find sanity and hope and healing. But hold on, pain ends. That got me through a lot, and I, I believe it, and I know that it's true. And like Neil said, too, it's for me the atonement of Jesus Christ and that Christ really can heal all and when I did my 12 steps that's what he did he healed all the broken parts of our relationship that struggled through those seven years of addiction he made all of those whole and I don't feel hurt looking back anymore I don't feel oh you're always going to owe me for this or I'm always going to be a little bit mad at you for these things or these experiences that were ruined from your addiction I used to feel that way I used to feel like there was never going to be a time that I could fully let go of some of that hurt and when I did my 12 steps and I really thoroughly did them and I wanted to get full credit for them I feel like the greatest gift was the atonement of Jesus Christ putting all the pieces back together and everything felt whole again so hold on pain ends all right. Thanks, you guys. We'll see Thank you, you next week. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox and we'll email you every time there's a new episode.